trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff podcast. Thank you for joining me. Hope you had a nice three-day holiday weekend. Hope you had some fun uh, with your family. I spent the majority of my weekend uh, with my kids. We were on the boat, did some swimming, uh, did some fireworks, did some barbecue, all that sort of stuff. I did squeeze a little bit of fishing in on Sunday. Uh, we had some real hot weather down here in Tennessee, but uh, no complaints for me whatsoever, especially with these grain markets higher today. That was kind of like the uh, the icing on the cake following a good weekend. But uh, hope you're well. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, go on Apple or Google or Spotify, whichever podcast app you use, and hit that subscribe button for grain markets and other stuff. You will be alerted every time that new content is available. Uh, we begin the week here with a higher trade, although kind of a, a some, some muted enthusiasm, I would say, in the corn market, especially given the situation. You know, we, we've got a little bit of a weather threat on our hands here, and I'll discuss that in a minute. But um, a, a three to five cent higher trade in the corn market following a three day weekend with a threatening forecast is not necessarily the most bullish action in the world, but uh, we've got some other factors at play. The soybean market is uh, seven to ten cents higher as I speak here at about 10 a.m. on Monday morning. So I wanted to do kind of a brief rundown on uh, what just happened in the row crop markets and what we may look forward to here over the next, uh, say, two or three weeks. Um, What just happened would be a 38-cent rally in September corn futures from bottom to top in a very short period of time. And in the soybean market, we've seen an 80-plus cent rally, 80-plus cents uh, from the April low to the recent top here in this August soybean contract, which did trade above $9 this morning. November soybean futures are up to 907 as I speak here. So we've had a, a pretty strong trade in the bean market. So what just happened and why did it just happen? Um, the bean market rally started first. We bottomed the bean market first and we were able to start building some upside first. I think that a lot of that had to do with some increased demand. We've seen some increased uh, Chinese purchases. I think that there's still chatter about forthcoming Chinese purchases for new crop in particular. And you've just got a little bit tighter situation in beans than you do in corn. Uh, When you look at beans also, the acreage number that we saw last week was lower than what the trade had expected, um, just a little bit higher than March and Tensions. A lot of people thought we'd be, you know, 2 million, 3 million acres higher. So you've got a lot of, of friendly things going for the soybean market. So I think the better demand, I think that this weather probably has a little bit to do with it. And that light acreage number um, are all contributing factors to the rally in the soybean market. Corn market's been a little bit different. Uh, we posted a low m- much more recently, and then we saw a rally. Um, the acreage, is, I think, is the big catalyst here. I mean, when when you see a decline of 5 million acres from March intentions to June planted acreage, that's a very, very friendly factor. The, the USDA in that single report just wiped hundreds of millions of bushels of corn production off the, the balance sheets, which is helpful. Now, the balance sheets could still end up being burdensome. That's still very possible. We've still got kind of questionable 
questionable demand, especially in terms of ethanol. Um, we're still going to be looking at big stocks. We could still be looking at a big crop, although this weather thing um, could could change that a little bit. Um, basis contracts were another, I believe, contributing factor. I did an episode on basis contracts or maybe a couple episodes on basis contracts recently. And what I talked about was how Going into that delivery period, those those you know the the week that farmers are forced to price basis contracts, a lot of times the market will be very very soft, and then once those basis contracts are priced, in a lot of situations you'll see the market rally, and uh, I think we saw a little bit of that here too. I don't think it's a coincidence that the market bottomed right around the time everybody had to have their basis contracts priced and and then rallied right after it. I don't think that's any coincidence. I think that there's definitely something to that. I think that a, a, a lot fewer basis contracts, especially in the case of corn, were rolled this last time around. I think a lot more of them were priced. I think guys were getting sick of looking at these old crop bushels and looking at the prices decline. And uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, that's how you put a bottom in the market. The, the unfortunate reality of grain marketing a lot of times is that the market has a better chance of rallying when farmer ownership is minimal or more minimal. Uh, it just seems like the less grain that the farmer owns, the more upside there is in the market. That's just the way it's always been, unfortunately. So you got a few things going on here. I think that's kind of sums up what just happened. I want to talk a little bit about sentiment. I would argue that sentiment in the corn market especially, even after this rally and shift in fundamentals is still fairly negative. And I, I talked about a couple of weeks ago before the rally, I said, you know, even the people in this market who are bullish are really not even bullish. They're bullish to the tune of of maybe 20 cents. And, and we've now seen a rally that's been almost 40 cents. Um, I still think that people are maybe a little bit too bearish. I think they're too comfortable with the narrative. Um, it's tough for me to say that upside is limited when the funds are short 240,000 contracts. It's it's tough for me to say that. Now, I, I look at the crop outlook. I look at the ending stocks. I look at the stocks to use ratio. I get it. I get why you're bearish. It, it all makes sense to me. But at the same time, like like I probably said maybe last go around, I've seen this story before where sentiment is just very negative and the funds are short and something changes. Um, you know, I've talked about this before, just about I think every calendar year since CFTC started keeping track of it, funds have, have held a long position in every calendar year since 2006. We haven't seen it yet this year. And it's not only that funds have held a long position in every calendar year, it's that they've gone along, I believe, at least 100,000 contracts at one point in every calendar year since 2006. Now, that doesn't have to happen this year. But if if we're to assume, let's just say for the, the purposes of this conversation, if we're to assume that that does happen again this year for some reason, and it may not be now, it could be contra-seasonally in September or October, and yes, there is precedent for that. Go look at a 2009 corn chart, for example. Um, the upside is not $0.20 cents if funds are going to cover all their shorts and go long 100000 The upside is much more significant than that. So I'm, I've, I've been kind of I always, if there's one thing that that I think social media is good for and that I think um, some of the, the radio and television programs are good for, if there's one thing all that stuff's good for, it's for me to gauge sentiment and figure out what everyone's thinking. There are no raging corn bulls out there right now. They don't exist. And I'm not putting myself in that camp either. What I'm saying is that if the right things happen, if this weather deal turns into a yield killer for some people, and if we can knock 
some bushels off the national yield and we can get demand uh, to improve a little bit. The upside is greater than what you think, in my opinion. I think that the upside could be much more significant. I mean, every single year, the last five, six years, we've traded corn above $4. Uh, that, that's not to say that we have to do it this year. It's not to say that the funds have to go along this year, but, um, I just I don't I don't like this idea that the upside is is very very limited because I think it's already proven some people wrong and I think that it could prove an even larger portion of people wrong if the right things happen. You need a yield hiccup, you need some better demand, you need some sort of catalyst, but the upside's bigger than what you think. I I I'm pretty sure of that uh given the right circumstance. And soybeans, I would probably argue that the sentiment is more I'm going to say neutral. I don't think anybody, I don't think the consensus is overly bearish, the soybean market, yet I don't think that the the consensus is overly bullish either. I think people see the situation. We've got some better demand. You know, maybe China's back. Maybe maybe this is temporary, these, um, these sales to China. But in any case, I don't think people are nearly as bearish the beans as they are the corn, but I don't think they're super bullish either. I mean, you don't hear a lot of people talking about 10 or $11 soybeans, um, you you just kind of get this idea that, well, the fundamentals are okay, the funds are long, some beans, which is also a, a, um, a more tangible indication that there's some positive sentiment here. But I don't think it's overly positive. And, and as with the corn, I would say that given the right circumstance, the, the upside potential in the soybean market, the upside potential is probably quite a bit larger than what you think. I remember back, back pre-trade war, the bean market used to trade you know, $2, $3, $4 ranges in a calendar year. And we've kind of gotten away from that. I, I think the big funds, the large speculators are just afraid to be really heavily long the bean market because of this trade war, because all it takes, as we've seen so many times, it just takes one headline or one soundbite uh, to, to get this thing to go the wrong way. So it's just, there, there's a lot of risk associated with length in the bean market because there's always this potential that the trade deal could fall apart. There's always that potential there. Let's talk about crop scare events for a minute. I've talked about these before, but this is, uh, you need a refresher course because this, I don't know if I'd call this a crop scare event yet, but it, it could turn into that uh, given the forecasts that are out there. And and some of the forecasts are, are worse than others. Some are calling for, you know, 100 degree heat for several days. Others are, are not necessarily that bad. But if we do get into a, a full-blown crop scare event, remember that they're typically short-lived and short-lived could mean a week. It could mean two weeks. It could mean three weeks. It could mean a month. Very rarely do they last longer than that. Um, even in 2012, the corn market topped uh, first week in August or second week in August. It was, it was August Wazdi day. I think it might have been August 10th in 2012 when the corn market topped. Um, so they're usually marketing opportunities. These crop scare events, if if we turn into that, and I, I don't know if I'd say we're there yet, but if we do turn into that, um, there's usually a marketing opportunity to be associated with it. Timing, of course, is the tricky thing. I can sit here all day and tell you that, yes, crop scare events, and when we have a rally based off of, of weather, it's usually a marketing opportunity, but timing it is incredibly difficult because they can last a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month, and, and the range of prices traded in that time frame, however long the, the scare occurs, can be phenomenal. You could see a, a dollar range traded in the corn market within a two-week period or a three-week period, and it could it could rally a dollar and then go down a dollar once you throw some rain in the forecast. Anything's possible. Um, I think that from a marketing standpoint, if I'm if I'm trying to market grain during a crop scare event, let's say it turns into that, um, I think you've got to kind of be a scale-up seller, meaning that you sell small percentages 
along the way. Don't put all your eggs in one basket or pin all your eggs to one price and say, okay, if corn gets to $3.99, I'm going to price everything. I don't think you can do it that way. I think that the, the, the better, um, and, and maybe more responsible way to do it is to be a scale up seller. You know, every time the market's up in corn, say, say this year we do get into a crop scare event. Every time we're up 10 cents, make a sale or, or 15 cents, whatever the number is. But I think that you've got to be a scale up seller and just resort yourself to the fact that you're not going to sell all your bushels at the high. You probably won't even sell any of your bushels at the high. So get that idea out of your head. The idea that you should have in your head is that I'm trying to build a price. The marketing, the market is giving me an opportunity to do that. And I'm going to be a scale up seller into these crop scare events. And again, we're not, we're not there yet. I don't think it, it could turn into that, but I don't believe we're there yet. Um, this is when options can be a really useful tool. And my, uh, service that I sell my subscription service, you don't need to do options or futures or anything like that to, to be involved and follow those recommendations. But usually during the crop scare event, marketing is very difficult because, you just don't know what sort of crop production potential you have. You're, you're just a rain or two away from having an enormous shift in production um, one way or the other for good or for bad. The the options and, and just outright put options as a very simple example provide you with downside coverage without committing any cash bushels or being uh, committed anywhere for that matter. You're just you're spending some money out of pocket and, and it does reduce your bottom line overall versus making a cash sale or a future sale. But that flexibility can be priceless in a time of uncertainty. And if you get into a a period here, the next two or three weeks where it doesn't rain on your farm and you don't know what your crop's going to be, but the corn market is rallying during that, um, options can be a very useful tool. Um, I, I, tend to use options very sparingly. I don't believe you should own options all the time throughout the calendar year. Um, I, I've never seen that sort of strategy work out real well. But I think that when you get into these situations where you return to some profitable levels, the market's up, maybe it's a crop scare event, there's a time, there's a time and a place for for those sort of strategies. And uh, a crop scare event is one of them. And no, I, again, I don't think we're in a full-blown crop scare event. I think it could turn into that. We're getting a little late in the calendar year for it, but um, it could happen over the next two or three weeks if these weather forecasts are confirmed, definitely. Uh, remember, we've got a report on Friday. They're going to use the new acreage numbers, which will help the balance sheets out a little bit. Um, they'll maybe adjust some of the demand numbers. Uh, there's been talk about the yields, and USDA could adjust the yields. Now, based on the crop ratings, if anything, they would take the corn yield higher. Based on the weather forecast, I'd say it should be unchanged to lower. So what does USDA actually do with it? Maybe they leave it unchanged. I'm really not too sure. I suppose we'll find out um, on Friday. But uh, hope that you guys have a nice week. Hope you had a nice weekend. Remember, if you do need some help with your grain marketing, if you're seeking to improve, go to my website. It's standardgrain.com. Click on Grain Marketing Plan. My subscription service is $49 a month. It's billed through PayPal. Um, it bills your credit card automatically. You just sign up once. You don't have to send me checks. There's no invoices or anything like that. It's very simple. You can cancel it at any time, and you will know when, how, and specifically, I am pricing corn, soybeans, and wheat uh, throughout the year. I talk about um, cash sales, mostly cash sales. Um, every once in a while, I talk about option strategies, but again, that's not a necessity in my opinion. Um, we'll talk about you know rolling 
HTAs, capture and carry, all that sort of stuff that is relevant to you as a grain marketer. If you want to check out that subscription service, go to my website, sign up. If you don't like it, you can cancel it at any time. There's no obligation. Everyone have a great week. I will talk to you the next couple of days. I'm sure I'll be back with the, with another uh, full format episode. Uh, catch you next time.